Our second scripture reading this morning is from 2 Kings. So this morning I get to tell you a story. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Armenian raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, this girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I'll send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out. Carrying his gifts, 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Now, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send him in to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elijah sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed of your leprosy. Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the, uh, the Abana, and the, the Farapar, uh, better than any of the ris- rivers of Israel? Why should I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Now his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, Simply go and wash and be cured. So... Naaman went down to the Jordan River, and he dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. I would really appreciate your prayers as brothers and sisters in Christ as I bring this word to you, because without your prayers, these words will not come to life. What do I mean by that? As we listen to the scriptures, as we listen to what the Lord has to bring to us, be in prayer. Pray for me, your brother in Christ. Pray for yourself that as we listen to these scriptures, that God would breathe life into us. God would breathe new meaning. Probably not what I share here. Probably something different. But you would take that and run with that. And that will be transformational for you and for the people that you come in touch with. Amen. 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 As we read from 2 Kings 5, 1 to 14. Today's reading was about an individual named Naaman. 
In our language, uh, the language of uh, the state of Kerala, uh, we would call it Naman. I think it's closer to uh, the biblical one, but I'm going to go with the English pronunciation, Naman. The other lectionary reading is from Mark 1, 40 to 45, which is about a person whose name is not mentioned. So one is Naaman, and the other person is also having leprosy or suffering from leprosy, but whose name is not mentioned. So I'm going to kind of use those two references. Let us look at two stories side by side and identify the characters. So people in the narrative... 2 Kings 5, 1 to 14, and Mark 1, 40 to 45. These are the people that you would see in the story. We have King of Aram. We have Naaman right across him. We have Naaman's wife and the slave girl. We have the servants or the officers that Naaman took with him. And then we have the king of Israel. And then we have Elisha and Gehazi. So that kind of populates that story there. And then we have on the other side, we have Jesus, the disciples standing very close to him like bodyguards. And then we have the man with no name who is also suffering. And then there is a group of people, the crowd. So that, I think, would give you an orientation of what's happening in both these stories. Now let us briefly look at or, or, and compare and contrast the life of Naaman and the person with no name. It's not a superstore brand, okay? but it's a person with no name. So here you go. So we have Naaman and we have a person with no name on the other side. So as you can see, a few characteristics of Naaman. He had a good paying job, actually a well paying job. He was an army commander. He had a valued role, so much so that the king of Aram sent a lot of wealth, resources, because he valued Naaman. On the other hand, if you look at that no-name person, he had no significant job, no role. Nothing is mentioned about him, nothing worth mentioning. So professional life of Naaman is much better than the professional life of the leper with no name. Naaman had a wife, and we know that he had at least one slave girl or servant who was attending to his wife. The other person we have no clue, nothing is mentioned. Naaman was well-to-do, influential. The other person, not affluent. Naaman had early stages of the disease because he was still working. Probably it began to appear as lesions all over his body which he could cover with his armor. So he was still leading his army, leading his men, working for the king. He was still employed. Whereas the leper with no name, he was in the later stages of the disease. 
Naaman was in poor health. The person with no name, he was in poorer health. Naaman was honored and respected. The other person was ostracized and unwelcome. Naaman had low hope. The other person had lower hope. So if hope is considered as a boat, one person was sitting ahead and the other person was sitting behind. But both of them have very little hope. So that gives you a profile of these two individuals. One rich, influential, the other poor, less influential. Both suffering, both with little hope. It is in the midst of this trying and uncertain life situation, from an unexpected corner, hope is again rekindled in the lives of these individuals. From an unexpected corner. In the case of Naaman, through the voice of a young slave girl from Israel who was brought captive in chains by Aramean raiders who plundered, killed, and took slaves. Who was attending to Naaman's wife. Yet, yet, she chose to be a voice of hope to Naaman and his family. As you can see, she is the one that brings hope or is a voice of hope to Naaman and his family. Imagine, she is in enemy country, in an enemy's household, working as a slave, but she chooses to be a voice of hope. In the case of the person with no name, probably, as you can see, person is here, probably, through the voice of a person in the crowd who experienced Jesus, or Jesus himself, who chose to be the, the voice of hope and hope itself. So as you can see, in the midst of the crowd, there comes a voice of, voice of hope, probably, from a person who experienced Jesus, rekindling hope in the individual who is in the latest stages of the disease, who needs a restoration. Or from Jesus himself, probably the person heard the voice of hope that Jesus has been speaking, and he ran to him. But in the case of Naaman, we know that the voice of hope came from the slave girl, whose condition was no better, whose family was destroyed probably. But yet she chooses to be a voice of hope. Paul the Apostle describes Jesus Christ as our hope, First Timothy 1.1, and the blessed hope, Titus 2.13. Jesus not only came to bring hope, he, he is our hope. Both Naaman and the person with no name had an awareness of the extent of the disease. Disease. And the damage it had done and was doing. 
which they knew would ultimately result in isolation and death. So coming back to, so you can appreciate how the voice of hope propels both the people who are suffering or both the suffering individuals to seek a common goal. Both are suffering. Both have dis-ease. The voice of hope propels them to seek restoration. What is our situation today? If you look at, or if we look at our profile, what does it look like? Do we feel unwelcome? Do we feel ostracized? Do we have very little hope when it comes to our emotional well-being, our physical well-being, our mental well-being? Probably a professional life. I will never get a good job. I've tried many times. What is our profile? Professional, personal, societal, physical, emotional, and mental. What is our situation? Only you would know that. I'm no one's judge. I wouldn't know that. But I know mine. I know mine. Take a few seconds. Populate that profile with yourself, with your areas. And look, what is an area that I need a voice of hope to rekindle hope in my life? Now let us look at three different sources for the definition of hope. I keep speaking about hope, but what in the world is this hope? Webster's Dictionary 1828 online edition says, A desire of some good accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it or a belief that it is obtainable. That's Webster's definition. Anybody heard of the hope theory? Okay. According to Rick Snyder, a psychologist who specialized in positive psychology, and best known for his work on hope and forgiveness, and who developed the hope theory, describes hope as a positive motivational state that is based on an interactively derived sense of successful agency, goal-directed energy, and pathways planning to meet the goals. Okay? If you Google him up, you would come up with the information. He's written articles. He's passed away. 2006, but he is a psychologist, clinical psychologist who specializes in hope and forgiveness. Obviously, he's got a training in Christian uh, universities. What does the Bible say? So we've looked at the dictionary, we've looked at a psychologist from the secular world who specializes in hope and forgiveness, his definition. But what does the Bible say? Because we have to look at different sources. 
The Bible in Hebrews 6, 11 and 12 says, Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will, then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Did you see three elements in here? Love, faith, and hope. When it's all said and done, those three remain. Love, faith, and hope. But out of that, love tops it all. This is the biblical definition of hope. Hope is mentioned in the Bible more than 120 times. I don't want to give you a lot of references, but just one reference to give you an idea what hope is. So, let's define hope now. Because we're going to use that definition to look at the rest of this uh, passage. So, let's define hope. So, hope is a confident expectation of achieving a goal or receiving something good, showing willingness and commitment to receive it. So hope is not just a feeling. It is not a state of mind where I remain there hoping that something will fall in my lap. That's a wish. I wish a job would come by and fall on my lap where I would be paid 80,000 bucks plus benefits. That's a wish. You probably would be disappointed. Wish has that fact to it. Wish brings disappointment. Hope brings good news. How is hope different? For us as believers in Christ, hope comes from the Lord. Hope comes from brothers and sisters in Christ. Hope as a sense of commitment and willingness to move in the direction. And thus, hope does not disappoint. A voice of hope ignited hope in each of the individuals and motivated each to take action toward receiving what they were hoping for. Naaman went to the king of Aram. He spoke to the king of Aram. He sought permission and set out to meet Elijah. And the other leper ran to Jesus and begged him on his knees. If you look at it, Naaman and the other person with no name, they heard the voice of hope. They didn't sit still. Probably healing will come to me. Aram made plans to go to the place where hope can be fulfilled. The leper with no name ran to where the voice of hope came, rekindled hope in him and fell at his knees and said, Are you willing to heal me, Lord Jesus? Are you willing to heal me, my Lord? Powerful. That's the hope that I'm talking about. Hope that propels action.
Is there a voice of hope that has been coming to you or that has come to you through someone or directly from the word of God that ignited hope in you? I want you to take a few seconds to think about that. Is there a voice of hope that came to you or that had come to you and that you kind of ignored? And Jacob spoke about it today. Go start the men's movie night. And he said something that he did. He waited. He procrastinated, he said. But then he decided, I'm going to move ahead, make plans for it. Whoever attends doesn't matter. I'm going to be there watching and doing what the Lord wants me to do. Hope was kindled in his, or rekindled in his life. Came to you from the word, from God. And you moved in that direction. So think about it. Is there a person in your life, at home, work or community, that can do with a voice of, voice of hope coming from you? Despite the circumstances you are in. Oh, Bobby, I cannot encourage anybody else. Look at my situation. I don't have a job. How can I go and encourage somebody else to get a job? How can I pray for somebody else? My life is in shambles. I cannot be a voice of hope to anybody. Like the young slave girl who would have lost her parents, her home and everything to be brought in as a slave into her enemy's country and household, yet she chooses to do good and bless by being a voice of hope, thus influencing the destiny of Naaman. Can you imagine that? All she said was, there is a prophet in Israel who would be able to heal my master. That's all she said. It changed Naaman's destiny. Wow. It changed his destiny. What is God calling you to do, my friends? My brothers and my sisters, what's God calling us to do? Maybe one word. Maybe one line into the life of somebody that God gives you, God brings into your life. Imagine that with the Spirit of God coming out from your mouth, that voice of hope will bring life and change the destiny of that individual. And probably you will never hear about it. Probably you will never hear about it. But that's okay. But that's okay. He sees it all. I want to encourage you. Despite your circumstances. Despite your lot in life. How can you be a voice of hope? Don't preach long sermons to them. Don't share your whole testimony with them. I remember in my early days of Christianity, I got somebody, poor soul, and I began sharing how the Lord's been doing His good work in my life. So I saw tears streaming down His face. I said, wow, 
Impactful message. Woohoo! Let's keep going. And finally, at the end of it all, I stopped and I said, How do you feel about all this? Sleepy. <laughs> My eyes were watering because I was trying very hard to keep it open. I learned a valuable lesson there. Keep your interactions short. If the Lord is with you, all you need is one word or one line. Makes a difference. And then let the Lord do the work. That day I learned a valuable lesson. I learned a valuable lesson that day. That was early on in my Christian life. It is interesting to note that although Naaman had heard the voice of hope and set out with the hope of achieving the goal, he would not have attained it due to certain barriers that stood in the way of attaining the goal, which is healing from leprosy. What was the baggage? We'll quickly look at that and we'll end. What was the baggage that he was carrying? What were the balls and chains that he had that would have prevented him from being restored? Those were the balls and chains that would have prevented Naaman from being restored. Position, posture, pride, and prejudice. Position. Naaman was a captain of the army of the king of Aram. He was very important to his king. Naaman was a great and powerful man. Position. Some of us, because of who we are in society, of who we are at our jobs, are afraid. What would people think if I say that I'm a Christian? If I speak about Christ or about God, even in passing, and that becomes a ball and chain for us. Posture, if you notice, Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. The other leper went and fell at the knees of Jesus and was begging. Position came into play. He was a powerful man. Sorry, posture came into play. He came with his horses and chariots and stood before the door of Elijah. Pride. Elijah sent a messenger. Naaman became angry and left. He said, I thought Elijah would come and at least come out and stand in front of me and call on the name of the Lord. I thought he would wave his hand over my body and heal the leprosy. Pride. I am a big guy. I am a commander. How dare he? Nobody came in or nobody came out. He sends a messenger? Unacceptable. Imagine he's the one needing healing. <laughs> Prejudice. Abana and Farfar. They are beautiful rivers. And I have to go and dip myself in that stinking Jordan? Prejudice. Prejudice. My friends, he would have missed. Notice, hope was kindled. He went. Great planning. Hope propelled him, but those balls and chains would have kept him from receiving that which was waiting for him, which is the restoration. Are we listening to voices of hope in our life and showing a willingness and commitment to receive what we are hoping for? 
Or are there barriers in our life that is preventing us from receiving what we hope for? For each of us, that hope and expectations will be different. So I'm not going to tell you what it is for you. What are your balls and chains? I, I don't know that. Sometimes it, for me, it's a prejudice that I have. Prejudice, nobody can, we all have it, we all carry it. But the question is, what do we do with it? And Naaman would have done something with it if it weren't for his servants who said, please go and dip yourself. He would have lost that restoration. So ask yourself, what are your balls and chains that keep you from accomplishing or keep you from being restored in whatever area that may be? Romans 5.2.5 says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege that we understood privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. So that is a progression. There is suffering in our lives. Christian life is not a bed of roses. You've heard that. We have suffering. Naaman was suffering. The leper with no name was suffering. But what he did with that suffering is important. And another important thing is there were people that spoke voices of hope into their life. It was a voice of hope from that slave girl. It was a voice of hope from Jesus or probably a person in the crowd that rekindled hope in the individuals, propelled them on to achieve that. Naaman could have missed it because of his balls and chains of position, posture, pride and prejudice. What are yours? Let us be a voice of hope to those around us. Last week, if you remember, I shared about making a difference by connecting with God, connecting with self and connecting with others. I'd encouraged you to share your stories as this can be one way to be a voice of hope to someone needing to rekindle their hope. So go ahead. Send in those voices of hope. It could be just one line. It could be two lines. Send in. It's on Facebook as well. Many people read it. That little post can be a voice of hope to somebody needing it. God bless you.